Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team this is hit well in a center field that one's carrying out at center it's out of here oh johnny with a pinch hit home run at the plate is mike trout the pitch on its way it's blasted out to dead center field out of here ball gets away he's gonna break for the plate ball game is over the Angels with a walk-off win here in the bottom of the ninth inning. This is the Angels Recap Podcast, a review of the past week in Angels baseball. Here's your host, Trent Rush. Oh yeah, it is my favorite time of the week. The next 45 minutes we get to spend together here on the Angels Recap Podcast. My name is Trent Rush. Pumped that you have decided to join us and what a show we got coming up. We're going to have a chance to talk with Griffin Canning, Angels starting pitcher. Uh, that's going to be really important for this Angels pitching staff next year. This will be his first full season in the big leagues. was called up in April of last season, the very end of the month, and uh, was shut down early uh, last season, missed most of September, uh, all of September as a matter of fact. So uh, really we, we got to see two-thirds of a season for Griffin Canning. He'll be coming into his first full season with the Angels, and I tell you what, that is going to be a very important piece and also somebody that I think could be uh, really, really good in this Angels rotation. So I'm definitely looking forward to chatting uh, with Griffin Canning coming up a little bit later on. Some other baseball news of today. Looks like Marcel Ozuna is going the Braves. One year, $18 million uh, on that deal there. They also signed Felix Hernandez, King Felix from Seattle on a one-year, $1 million minor league deal. So that's a couple moves uh, that the Atlanta Braves have made this week. Also, some chatter out of Colorado. Looks like uh, the Nolan Arnado and Colorado Rockies marriage is hitting a pretty rocky place right now, just a year after they offered him an eight-year contract extension. I mean, Colorado sees, or the Rockies see Arnado as their Mike Trout, and they, they inked him to that big contract last year. Well, it does have an opt-out clause after this season, and uh, things don't be uh, are not looking good there. There's been a lot of talk that he could get traded, uh, and then all of a sudden he says, uh, the, the general manager says, okay, we're not going to trade him, and Arnado says, uh-uh, this is 
is not okay. Uh, I've been disrespected this offseason, and he's not happy. So uh, that is the latest saga going on uh, across baseball. That's the latest news. And I'm just, I'm just really happy to have baseball chatter as opposed to uh, the cheating scandal in Houston of the last week, which is just as a baseball fan and a lover of this sport, it's just kind of hard to stomach everything that's gone on. I mean, obviously, you have to talk about it, but, you know, that's not why we all love this game. We don't want to talk about uh, cheating scandals and, and everything that goes into that. And I'm just happy that we can have arguments today about, you know, Derek Jeter, should he have been all first ballot or should he have been a unanimous selection or not? And, you know, that that's good to have those kind of debates. So, like I said, we'll talk more about that a little bit later on. There was also some Angels news that was made uh, late last week. And this is when Billy Epler was on MLB Network Radio on Sirius XM talking with Jim Duquette and Mike Farron. And he was talking about a new rule in baseball and how it could impact Shohei Otani. I think that's going to be one of the major storylines coming into this spring training or how are the Angels going to use Shohei Otani? How are they going to get him ready for the 2020 season as a hitter while also getting him ready as a pitcher? Knowing he's coming off of Tommy John surgery, it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. But like I said, Billy Upler was on MLB Network Radio on Sirius XM and talked about exactly that. Available for him in simulated games or whatever to get up to the pitch count that you would need in regular season? Or would you have to look at some sort of IL stint to then get him back on a rehab assignment during the course? Have you figured that kind of stuff out if he does open as a, as a hitter? Um, yeah, it, it, it's funny that you funny that you bring that up um, because those were discussions that uh, I've been having with uh, the commissioner's office for um, hmm. about a year now of how we can, um, you know, have a player that has, you know, essentially, you know, a, a dual distinction and a, and a player that can hit, but also a player that can, um, um, but also a, a player that can pitch and how you handle that from an IL perspective and a rehab perspective. Um, and, and ultimately, um, you know, the commissioner's office put out a couple, you know, a couple rule changes over the last um I think it was over the last couple of weeks, and and one of those is that we will be able to send Shohei on a on an actual rehab assignment as a pitcher, and then the very next day, if we so choose, um, we could use him in a major league game as a, as a hitter. Um, but we would have to play short those the day that he is, um, you know, the day that he's on a rehab assignment. And so, you know, historically, if you've looked at what he did in Nippon, uh, you know, in the MPB with Nippon Ham, and what he did in his first season with us when he was both a, a pitcher and a hitter. So we tended to give him the day off before he pitched and the day off after he pitched. Um, and, and that was more when his workload or his pitch volume would kind of get 65, 70 pitches or more. Um, we felt that some time to recover before getting back in the batter's box and having all of the events that happen when you're in the batter's box of, getting on base, hitting doubles, getting hit by pitches, sliding, so on and so forth. We needed to, to, to kind of be very mindful of how much, how much time he would need to recover. So we will be allowed, allowed to do that, Mike. So, so we will be allowed to kind of um, send him over to whether it's the Cal League or send him the Pacific Coast League or, or what have you for just that day. We will have to play with 25 men that day. Um, but the very next day, he could be active in our lineup. 
So a couple new rules in play on this. For one, the 26-man roster coming into the 2020 season I think is going to be uh, very beneficial for the Angels and uh, and every team across baseball for that matter. Uh, but yeah, this rule to be able to have Shohei go rehab for a day and then come back and hit the next, I don't know how often the Angels are going to do that anyways. I mean, they have the option should they choose. But based on what we have seen in the past, uh, you know, we have not really seen Shohei go pitch and then not have a recovery day after that, but uh, you know he can sit the day and then pitch the ne- or, you know hit the next day. So there is flexibility. They don't have to have him uh, be on the disabled list the time he can go pitch in rehab games as a pitcher and still be able to hit. And that's uh, going to be a really important thing to help in his recovery because um, this is even being discussed. It also leads me to believe we're probably not going to see Shohei Otani on the mound when the season begins. I think the Angels are going to be careful with him. There's no reason to try trying to rush him back uh, onto the pitcher's mound. Um, I, I think that they're going to take their time with him coming off of Tommy John surgery. Who knows how many rehab assignments uh, he will have. I think he'll probably have more than one, uh, but you never know. And hopefully, you know, this doesn't drag out beyond April. But I, I don't think uh, – I would be surprised to see – I would be surprised to see Shohei the pitcher – ready to go on opening day. I think that that is just something uh, to be keeping in mind when you're getting ready uh, for this Angels um, upcoming season. By the way, uh, if you want to get on out to the Big A, go do it with a ticket plan. Visit angels.com slash ticket plans or call 888-796-HALO to buy the best ticket package for you. Pick the games you want and don't miss out on the best seats at the best price. Visit angels.com slash ticket plans or call 888-796-HALO today. You don't want to miss a chance to be at the Big A, so come on, 888-796-HALO or angels.com slash ticket plans uh, to be at the yard to go get a chance to see Mike Trout and Anthony Rendon together in this lineup. Going to be exciting to see that Shohei Otani pitch, Shohei Otani hit. Uh, it's going to be a really fun 2020, especially with Joe Madden calling the shots in the dugout. I am definitely looking forward to that. All right, last thing I want to talk about here in this segment before we get a chance to hear uh, from Griffin Canning that uh, Baseball America put out their top 10 prospects for the Angels system entering 2020. Uh, not a surprise. They have Joe Adele as the number one prospect in the Angels system and Brandon Marsh at number two. I was uh, happy to see some love for Jordan Adams, former 20, or he was the 2018 first round pick of the Angels. That's the number three guy. And then Jeremiah Jackson, the shortstop, who had a phenomenal year last year after dealing with some injuries, uh, came back and, uh, you know, last year was great and, you know, was in rookie ball, set records hitting the ball as a slugger. So you're talking about uh, you know a first and second round draft pick in 1-2 and then another first and second round draft pick in 3-4. Chris Rodriguez, when he gets healthy, I think this is a pitcher that's going to be really good in the Angels system. They have Patrick Sandoval at number six in the system, and I would expect uh, that distinction not to last very long because at some point he's going to stop qualifying as a prospect. Jose Soriano is after that at number seven. Arl Vera is number eight, six two hundred and seventy pound Venezuelan. He's young. He's just sixteen years old when he signed a two million dollar deal last year, and and he is somebody that uh, could project really high. Uh, also has a low floor, so a high ceiling, low, low floor kind of player there. Hector Yawn was really good in Burlington last year. Uh, a left hander that's just twenty years old out of the Dominican Republic. He could be an interesting player. And then Kyron Paris, another shortstop. 
shortstop uh, rounds out uh, the Angels' top 10, according to Baseball America. He was a second-round pick last year, and he, again, really young player. He's just 18 years old and just turned 18 on November 11th. So he is young, and that's kind of the, the storyline with after really the top three or four in the Angels' system, a lot of really young players after that. But, but then again, uh, those are the top 10, and we all know how special uh, the very top of that list is with Joe Adele and Brandon Marsh. And Joe Adele really is looking uh, like he's got some superstar potential. So that's what Baseball America is calling uh, the top 10 in terms of prospects uh, for the Angels. Somebody that used to be on that list was Griffin Canning. Angels, former second-round draft pick out of UCLA, Orange County native. Canning was 5-6 and six last year with a 4-5-8 ERA and 17 starts. One relief appearance last year. Griffin Canning is one of those pieces for the Angels that is an X-factor in many ways. And you just think about you know the additions to this Angels rotation. And I know a lot of fans want to see more, but I think there's an instant upgrade with Shohei Otani back on the mound. And I think that there's also going to be an instant upgrade with Griffin Canning being a full-time starter at the big league level, having a year of experience under his belt. I think Griffin Canning is going to be huge for the Angels' success this upcoming season. And that's why we want to make sure we had Griffin Canning on the program. So without further ado, here's our chat with Angel starter Griffin Canning. We are joined now on the phones by one of the really fun pitchers and one of the real bright spots of 2019 last year for the Angels and now coming into the 2020 season. A lot of people are excited about Griffin Canning being back on the bump for the Halos. Griff, what's going on, dude? How are you? What's up, Trent? How's it going, man? Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Really appreciate you doing this. I know it has been a a, a busy offseason for you. We had David Fletcher in studio last week, and he was talking about you guys are spending some time working out together and uh, been at the ballpark a lot, getting ready for the season. I'm just curious for you, with pitchers and catchers reporting uh, in less than a month, how fired up are you for this coming season? Oh, I'm excited. Um, you know, obviously some – some big additions in the off season for us, and then I don't know, just kind of just kind of rolling into this second year where I have kind of some more experience under my belt. Um, but yeah, I'm just excited to get to work and, and get rolling. I am curious, just from your perspective, being a pitcher, how much does it fire you up knowing that you have an outstanding defensive left side of the field, not just with Anderson Simmons, but then to have Anthony Rendon over there at third as well? Yeah, I mean, uh, it just gives you the most confident um, when you're throwing. Just just knowing that you can be confident throwing strikes, attacking hitters, and, and allowing them to put the ball in play. Um, I mean, even our outfield's pretty awesome, too. And then and obviously you factor in Fletch and then Rendon and, and Simba and, and everybody. So, I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be awesome for sure. I want to talk about the 2019 season for you because uh, there were a, a, a lot of high moments. There were obviously some lows last season as well. But when you think back uh, to your performance in 2019, um, how would you evaluate your first year in the major leagues? Um, I mean, yeah, like you said, there's definitely a lot of highs and, and a lot of lows. But um, that's baseball. That's that's life. So um, you just kind of got to roll with the punches and, and, and stay positive as best you can. Um, but I mean, I learned a lot. Uh, we had a really good group of guys. Um, Doug, our pitching coach last year was, was awesome. He, he was really helpful with kind of, we had a lot of young guys up, so, um, he kind of had his hands full with, with getting us ready and, and kind of teaching us how to prepare for games. Um, kind of going over game plans and scouting reports for hitters and, 
what kind of what kind of thing is that um, we think we might see. Um, but I mean, I, I could say it was a pretty successful year, and I don't think I really had any expectations going into it. I just kind of try and get just go to the field every day and trying to get a little bit better. You blew through the system pretty quick, uh, really quick. Last season, uh, climbing three levels, starting 2019 in AAA, and then you get to the major leagues before the end of April. Um, did, did the process and the journey of getting to the big leagues go kind of how you thought it might go? I think so, actually, yeah. Um, you know, we kinda, I kind of sat down with, with my advisors at the time and not my agents, Um and you kind of you kind of can game plan a little bit for the draft of of kind of some organizations that you can see yourself fitting into, um, and then obviously worked out growing up an Angels fan that um, I could work out in a system like this. But I mean that's that's why I went to college. That's why I didn't sign out of high school so I could I could go to UCLA. I could I could be under Coach Savage there and just learn a lot from from the guys that were already there and who've been there. Um, but yeah, I mean I, I don't think I could like, could could have drawn it up much better. You talk about being an Angels fan growing up and pitching locally at UCLA and growing up in Orange County. Uh, I'm interested to hear your perspective on, on what the reaction has been like just around town, being here in Orange County since making it to the major leagues, having the success that you've had uh, in the first season at the big league level. Uh, what's it been like for you? How has your life changed going around town uh, today versus maybe a year ago at this time? Um. I honestly don't think it's changed too much. Um, I, I, I like, I enjoy being home. Um, it's kind of weird for me that sometimes the season ends and they're, they're flying back to other states, other countries. Um, so I, I guess I'm mean, a, little, a little bit spoiled um, in that aspect where I kind of just get to stay here um, the entire year. Um, but, I mean, not, not much has changed. I kind uh, of prefer to just be a little bit more low-key, so... Um, I have all my spots down here and everything, so it hasn't changed too much. You mentioned, Griff, how uh, Doug White last season was really beneficial for you. Have you had a chance to connect at all with Mickey Calloway and, and what you can expect this season to be like? Um, just a little bit. He was he was out there um, a couple months ago when, when the first all got announced, um, so we got the chance to talk a little bit then. Um, but since then, just kind of communicating through some text messages, um, Started, started a little group text with some of the other pitchers and just kind of laying out the throwing program and kind of his expectations for us when we come to Arizona and get rolling for spring training. But I know we're all excited. Everybody's heard a lot of really good things about him, and, and we're really excited to, to see what he brings to the table for sure. Going back to last season, um, I, I want to know when did it feel like for you that being here and staying here was real because I, I asked David Fletcher this question. Um, are you guys a little bit different situation. Obviously, you were at the top of the prospect list for a long time. Uh, I, I think back to that start you had at home, your second home start when you went seven shutout innings against Kansas City. Was there a moment for you when you felt like, okay, I'm here and I'm here to stay? Yeah, I think um, I think the for some reason the the national anthem when we got to St. Louis. Um, that's kind of a moment that I remember that kind of sticks out to me. Um, St. Louis is just an awesome stadium and an awesome, awesome city, obviously, with everything going on with, with Pujols making his return there. Um, there's a lot more people, a lot more energy. Um, so I think that was kind of the one moment that I could look back on and, and kind of just be step back and say, like, wow, like I'm really here. 
We're talking with Angels starting pitcher Griffin Canning right now. Uh, Griffin, last season for you, I thought ended with one of your best starts when you went uh, seven one-run innings at home against the White Sox, uh, got your fifth win of the year, and then we find out that uh, dealing with a little bit of elbow inflammation, and that was going to be it for you that season uh, to wrap things up. First of all, how are you feeling now? And secondly, what was the emotion of, of kind of going through that in mid-August, knowing your season was coming to an end a bit early? I feel I, I'm I'm absolutely healthy. I feel awesome. Um, you know, I'm kind of just looking at it sort of like a, a blessing in disguise to where I just kind of needed to tinker a little bit with my routine, um, just kind of monitor a little bit more how much I'm throwing, regardless of how good or bad I'm feeling. Just kind of... Uh, I, it's the cliche way to say it, but kind of just saving bullets. Um, so I've been able to, to reach out to some other guys and just kind of see what their what their routine is like in between starts. Um, obviously, talk to some of the coaches and, and all the the trainers and the um, all the personnel that we have that can kind of give their input and think and tell me what they think I should I should be doing. So I mean, obviously, you want to be able to stay healthy and, and pitch. Um, so that was that was a pretty major bummer. Um, it stinks, you know, just, just sitting on the bench watching games, um, not really being able to, to do your part as much as you'd like. I remember talking with you in spring training last year about pitch efficiency and, and that being something that you wanted to work on coming into this season. Uh, when you think back to your 2019 campaign, you know, everything is about development, right? And especially for a young pitcher like yourself, to, to make that introduction in the major leagues, that's great. But now everyone's wanting to say, okay, what's the next step going to be for Griffin Canning? What were some of the things you felt like you learned last year that are going to help in your development that you can carry in uh, the 2020 season and beyond? I think the biggest thing is just trusting myself, um, just trusting in my in my abilities and and trusting what's gotten me to this point so far. Um, you know, those, those starts that I had that went well, those are the ones where I kind of just went with my gut and, and trusted myself and just let everything go. I wasn't really thinking much, wasn't overthinking, wasn't being tentative. Um, and then those starts that were going sideways, I was just trying to be trying to be something else that I wasn't, trying to make the perfect pitch every single time. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think the biggest thing that I'm going to take away from last year is just being able to trust my stuff and, and – um, feel confident attacking the zone against these guys. I understand uh, it's a different era now, and the way pitchers are used is different than years past. But I talk with Mark Langston about this all the time, and he always said, man, I feel like I have a responsibility. Like, I have to go seven innings or else I disappointed my team. Like, I didn't get the job done. And he really wore that as being something that was kind of a badge of honor for him. And like I said, I know things are differently now, but uh, how important is it for you uh, when you're going into a start to feel like you need to not just pitch well, to, but be able to pitch deep into games. Yeah, I mean, um, you obviously want to be able to to get deep into games and save the bullpen as much as you can. Um, just being up last year, you kind of see the the grind that it is for 162 games to to get those bullpen guys in there, but also try and keep them pretty healthy. Um, so the, the deeper we can go into games, the the better we're going to be. Um, first off. And then, obviously, we can save those guys in the bullpen. Um, they're going to be a little bit fresher down the run and uh, can help us out a lot for sure. What were some of the things, Griffin, you thought maybe surprised you about last season in the big leagues that maybe you didn't really expect? Hmm. 
something to surprise me. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I can think of one thing. I think, I think I got a pretty good, um, you know, kind of going, going back to school, going back to UCLA, going to college. Um, we kind of just, we kind of just prepared to be professionals. So we had really good coaches there that kind of prepared us for the lifestyle. Um, so obviously once we, once we did get drafted and get it with a team, we kind of had our somewhat our routine set, but, um, I mean, you just, throughout the season, you just can kind of watch some of the veteran guys and see how they go about their business, um, just how they're working out, how they're throwing and everything. Just kind of learn from the guys around you. How much do you think that college experience helped you? Because, I mean, I, I know you talk about it here, but you know, I, I do a lot of college baseball games in the offseason, and, and I a lot of times can see the value. And, you know, when, when you're 18 years old trying to make that decision, Griff, you could have gone and, 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 you know, people knew you weren't going to go to UCLA. It would have been a really high pick probably, and you still go to UCLA and obviously end up being a second-round pick, and, and here you are in the big leagues just a couple years later. Just how beneficial do you see college baseball being or how, how big was it for you? Yeah, I mean, I can't really say enough about it. Um, obviously, I was, I was really lucky to, to go into a program like UCLA and be in a coach savage. Um, and then, obviously, kind of the, the pedigree of guys that had been there before, the, the Garrett Coles, the Trevor Bowers, James Caprillion, uh, on Porto, some of those guys that had been there before um, were, were coming back around pretty often. So we were able to interact with them and kind of pick their brains about um, the process of everything. But, I mean, yeah, coming out of high school, I just physically, I don't, I don't think I was ready. Mentally, wasn't ready. But, I mean, looking back, obviously, it's, it's easier to say that that I was happy to go to school just because it turned out the way it did. But, I mean, worst worst case scenario, you go to college and you have you have that college degree. So, I mean, being able to to go to a school like UCLA and, and have that education with with baseball along with it was can't really put a price tag on that. No question about that. We're talking with Griffin Canning right now, Angels starting pitcher. Griffin, last uh, or coming into this season, Angels fans have been talking a lot about the offense, and why not? It's considered to be one of the highest-rated offenses in Major League Baseball. But the questions do overall remain about the pitching staff and where this pitching staff is going to be able to kind of be ranked when the whole season is done. Um, when you hear people saying, hey, we need more pitching, we need more guys. As somebody that is a starter and a key starter on this staff, what's your reaction to that? Um, you know, uh, I mean, I, I'm an Angels fan too, so um, I want us to be the best team that we can possibly be, but um, I mean, I don't I don't think guys are trying to take it personal. Um, if anything, I think, I think we can use it to our advantage to where we can roll into spring spring training with with a lot of guys and and it can kind of bring out some competition which I think will will definitely help us get better um, regardless of, of where we are um, so I mean I think it's I think Joe Madden says all the time keep the keep the pleasure greater than the pressure um, so I mean there's there's no pressure on us we we know what we need to do um, and we're, we're all working hard it's not it's not like we're sitting on our butts. Um, just yeah. going through the motions. We we know what we need to do, but um, obviously we just need to to prove it. 
Griffin, I'm excited for 2020 for the Angels. I'm excited for 2020 for you. I think it's going to be a really great season, and I really appreciate you taking some time out uh, to join us here on Halo's Hot Stove and the Angels Recap Podcast. And I guess I'll see you in less than a month when pitchers and catchers report. Yes, sir. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, Trent. All right, take care, Griffin. We'll see you. Man, I tell you what, I really like Griffin Canning. He's such a like a cerebral guy, too. Really high IQ. And I think that's going to really help him uh, this coming year. And, and I, you know what? I am really happy with the Angels rotation. Uh, you know, I, I am of the belief that it is not quite average, but it could be if Griffin Canning takes the jump that I think uh, he's going to take. And I think that if Shohei Otani uh, has a full season as a starting pitcher for the Angels and he improves uh, the way that I think he can, and also from what we've seen from Shohei Otani, uh, where he has had wipeout ace-like stuff uh, as a starting pitcher for the Halos, and I think, you know, Tehran's going to get you innings, Bundy's going to get you innings, these are two valuable additions to the Angels rotation, Andrew Heaney is going to be a big piece of it, Patrick Sandoval showed me a lot last year, and you, you know, bring in some other players as well, they're going to be kind of floaters that can go up and down, maybe spot starters for you, maybe relievers for you, I think about the Matt and Drace trade that the Angels made uh, last week. So there's a few pieces in place. I think this Angels rotation uh, is going to be a lot better than it was a year ago. They may still have to make that big move at the deadline, but it is going to be better than what it was last year. And I think the offense with Anthony Rendon is going to be a lot better, especially with a full extra month of Mike Trout in September with hopefully a healthy Justin Upton, Andrelton Simmons staying healthy. If all those things kind of fall into place, I think the Angels can have a really fun year. You know, earlier this week was the announcement of who is going to be going into the Baseball Hall of Fame. And it's always an exciting day, particularly exciting when the new president of the Hall of Fame is Tim Mead and he got to make the announcement and the phone calls. Derek Jeter gets in, one vote shy of unanimous. I'll get to that in a second. I was also really pleased to see Larry Walker get in. He got the biggest jump in his last year of voting uh, since 1965, I saw a moment ago. Just absolutely crazy and exciting to see those guys get in. I'm happy for the fans of the Colorado Rockies that have had a, a tough week, especially with the latest Nolan Arnato saga going on there. So happy to see that for the Rockies that Larry Walker gets in. And Larry Walker had posted on Twitter earlier in the day that he felt like, alright, well, thanks for everything. I'm still going to be a few votes short. Well, he was still able to get in and it was really cool uh, to see him do that. Uh, we don't see a whole lot of movement when it comes to Bonds and Clemens, they get just over 60%. Got to get to that uh, magic 75 number uh, to get into the Hall of Fame. But when it comes to Derek Jeter, you know, I I just, I want there to be some kind of accountability for when you're going to see somebody like that and not vote for them into the Hall of Fame. First of all, you should be able to, it shouldn't come from one of the private ballots. If you're going to take a hot take like that and take a stance like that, you know, show your face and, and say, hey, this is why I didn't vote for Derek Jeter. Explain yourself a little bit to kind of do it hiding in the dark. I'm not a big fan of that. I would have liked to have seen uh, somebody step up and explain the reasoning for why they didn't vote for Derek Jeter. I felt the same way about Ken Griffey Jr. Felt the same way about Vladimir Guerrero. For me, you're either in or you're out. Whether it's a first ballot, whether it's a last ballot, uh, whether it's unanimous, none of that matters to me. 
are you, is this person, is this player a Hall of Famer? And if they're not, um, and, and you're going to say, hey, in my mind, Derek Jeter was not a Hall of Famer, you should be explaining why that is. Because I think anybody that loves our game, anybody that watches our game, particularly those entrusted to protect the sanctity of Cooperstown and the Hall of Fame, should be people that understand what greatness looks like. And if you're going to say, there are plenty of people that say, well, Derek Jeter shouldn't be unanimous. And there are plenty of people that are going to say, well, Derek Jeter shouldn't be first ballot. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody that thinks Derek Jeter should not be a Hall of Famer. So in my mind, it's whether it's unanimous or first ballot, that that means nothing to me. I just care about, is it you know, is this person a Hall of Famer? And if you're one of the voters that, if you were the voter that thinks that Derek Jeter's career was not Hall of Fame worthy, well, then I think that uh, you should explain yourself. And if you did it for a different reason, well, to me, that goes against the integrity of the ballot. Look, the Baseball Writers Association of America is entrusted to get it right. That's who the Hall of Fame has relied upon for many years. Uh, but to some of those that like to make statements on their ballot and do so hiding in the dark. Uh, I'm not a big fan of that, especially with it coming on a private ballot. Some of that did post their Hall of Fame ballot is our next guest. We are joined now by the guy who seems to know everything when it comes to Angels baseball, Jeff Fletcher on the phone with us right now, the Orange County Registered Chairman of the Baseball Writers Association of America for the chapter here in Southern California. Fletch, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm great. How are you, Trent? Hey, I'm doing good. I want to talk some Angels a little bit uh, here in a minute, but I also want to talk a little bit about the Hall of Fame and everything that came down uh, today. I am curious. I want to make sure Derek Jeter was on your ballot, correct? Yes, I did vote for Derek Jeter. Okay. All right. Um, (laughs) It wasn't me. Well, that seems to be the firestorm uh, on Twitter today. Yankee fans upset he didn't get the one vote uh, to be unanimous. I- I'm I'm curious, how does that process work in terms of uh, making the selection, in your opinion, for uh, getting into the Hall of Fame? Well, it's a very complicated thing, and there's a you know you're basically talking about really splitting hairs between the top one percent of players in baseball history and the top two percent. You know, and it's even if you disregard the whole steroids thing or any other issues about off the field stuff or, you know, Kurt Schilling's behavior, even if you disregard all that and only look at their stats, very, very difficult. And uh, I struggled with it a lot. Uh, this year I had, uh, I voted for seven guys and there were about four other guys that I kind of went back and forth on and I made before eventually. But uh, I, I generally like to, uh, I like to have no doubt when I finally vote for them. So if it comes down to where I'm kind of like on the fence, I sort of leave them and I wait, maybe look at them again next year. And uh, I, I like guys that have a lot of dominance, even if it's for a shorter period of time, as opposed to not as dominant for a longer period of time. That's sort of my base philosophy. Gotcha. Because I, I noticed you had Manny Ramirez on your ballot this year. And, and I bring that up because I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens in 2022 with what folks decide to do with Alex Rodriguez when he gets on the ballot. And, you know, Bonds and Clemens still aren't in and they ticked up a little bit. But I, I kind of, I, I don't know, I, I put Manny and, and A Rod in a little different bucket than I do with Bonds and Clemens. I'm curious about uh, why you voted for Manny Ramirez. Well, it's definitely it's a legitimate line to draw to separate Bonds and Clemens from Ramirez and, and the other guys who actually failed tests in the era that they had steroid testing. But for me, I'm not really looking at it so much from an integrity standpoint. 
I'm looking at it more from an authenticity standpoint. And, and so I look at the guy and I go, well, how good was he if he didn't take steroids? And for me, Bonds and Clemens are clearly, you know, they were good before they took steroids. Manny Ramirez didn't fail a test until he was almost 37 years old. And if he would have just retired before he failed that test, he would have been a Hall of Famer, no question. He'd already have 500 homers. He's got career average 300, 400, 500 average on base slugging. He was a monster. So it certainly wasn't great for the integrity standpoint that he did get busted twice. But to me, those were just at the very end of his career, and he's sort of already proven himself to be a Hall of Famer. Sammy Sosa, by the way, I do not vote for because Sammy Sosa, to me, I think his entire Hall of Fame case is based on the home run column, and I think a lot of that was because of steroids. There was no, you know, uh, previous career. You know, he didn't come up and was great like Manny Ramirez was instantly, you know, and, and I just think he wasn't as good a player as those other guys. Jeff, you also voted for Barry Bonds, and being someone that covered Barry Bonds when you were in San Francisco, you know, you hear this stuff about how there's a lot of people in the media that don't necessarily like Barry, and, and Barry didn't like them back. I think if anybody could uh, make the case that, oh, I don't, I, maybe I don't like this guy as a person, so I don't want to put him in, uh, you would probably be somebody that could be in that position. Uh, but you, you, you vote for Barry Bonds. Do you ever see him getting in? I mean, now that he's only got two more chances. You know, it's a real tough one. I don't, I don't really have a good feel for that. I, I could see it going either way. I mean, it's possible that, you know, Larry Walker got a big boost in his last year on the ballot. And I think when somebody's in their last year on the ballot, people kind of give them the benefit of the doubt if they were close on them. I'm not sure if that's going to happen with Barry Bonds, but uh, maybe there are people out there, and there doesn't have to be a lot of them. Maybe there's just a small percentage of people to vote no that think, well, I'm going to wait till he gets to the very last year, so I made him wait the longest I could possibly make him wait, and then I'm going to vote for him. But to me, I've just always voted for him because I, you know, like I said, I don't, you know, these are baseball players. I'm not elected a pope here. So uh, I'm just more <laughs> interested in their performance than their integrity. And his performance was just off the charts. Yeah. So uh, I think it's, it's easy for me to vote for him and Clemens. There's no question about that. And I, I'm with you when it comes to that kind of stuff. Um, I, I, Jeff, I want to know a little bit about your career because you and I we, we have conversations when you're at the ballpark and a lot of Angels fans know you obviously for what you do now uh, with the Orange County Register and, and covering the Angels uh, really as good as anybody does in Southern California or nationally uh, what you do for this ball club is great however um, you started in San Francisco am I right is in covering the Giants what what was it like in those early days as a young sports reporter covering Barry Bonds and those Giants teams well, I got to tell you, it's, it's kind of interesting because there's three players that I've been a baseball writer for like 23 years now, and the three players I've seen play the most games in my life are Barry Bonds, Mike Trout, and Albert Pujols. It's not bad. So that's a, that's a pretty good <laughs> trio to have. Uh, yeah, I mean, Bonds was just, it was ridiculous. And I mean, from a pure offensive standpoint, he did things that Mike Trout couldn't even imagine doing. I think one year he hit like 370 and had like a 650 on base percentage, something like that. I mean, he hit, he would see one pitch a game and he hit a home run. It was ridiculous. Now, obviously, there, he got some help, so uh, it wasn't necessarily all authentic, but it was still pretty impressive. Yeah, no doubt about that. Now, doing what you do, covering the Angels, I think a lot of people are interested in this. What is the average day like? I know that there is no such thing as an average day in sports, especially in sports media. But what is a typical day like for you coming to the ballpark and covering this team? Uh, during the season? 
Yeah. You're talking about? Yeah, during the season. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, I'll probably get there about uh, between 2.30 and 3 for a regular 7 o'clock game, and then uh, you go down to the clubhouse for about 45 minutes to an hour and talk to players and try to get all the news you can get for things that are not happening from 7 to 10, which is what everybody sees on TV. So I try to you know, get injury updates, see how guys are doing, guys that are hot and cold, see why they're hot and cold, talk to the manager uh, a little after that about you know, why he's doing things with the lineup, what he thinks about the way players are going, etc. And then uh, once the game starts, pretty much uh, watching the game, about halfway through the game I start writing my story because I have to have it finished the moment the game ends. So uh, I pretty much root for whichever team is winning in the seventh inning. I want to see that team win, so I have to rewrite my story. And uh, then I go down to the clubhouse and talk to players again and uh, rewrite that story with quotes. And then I end up leaving the ballpark about an hour to an hour and a half after the game's over. How different is that now in terms of like time to get it done? Because obviously there's you know a push to have something online right away. But in the past, it would have been like making your deadline late at night. So is there really a difference for you when it comes to that kind of stuff from maybe when you started to where you are today? Well, in the old days, there used to be, uh, you know, your deadline was 10.30 at night or something. So if it was a day game or a game that was on you know, the Eastern time zone, you didn't really have to worry about it. Gotcha. Now your deadline is whenever the game ends, no matter if it started at 10 in the morning because you're on West on East Coast day game or if it started at 10 at night. So it's sort of the same. Every single game you have to have a story done when the game ends. But uh, it's just a matter of how much time you have to write after the game's over for your kind of final version of the story. Doing what you do as well, covering this team, we're talking with Jeff Fletcher, the Orange County Register right now. Um, what is the challenge in developing relationships with players and and understand, you know, trying to you know get to know these guys and be able to cover them as best you can, while at the same time knowing that it's you know you have a responsibility to your readers to provide the most accurate information at all times. And, you know, sometimes a player may not like what is the most accurate information. So when it comes to that balance, how much of a challenge is that? Yeah, I mean, my job basically is to tell readers something they don't know and that they don't find out just from watching the game that they can't see. So a lot of those things are things that people don't want to tell me. Uh, You know, players don't necessarily want to tell me if they have an injury that they're playing through, you know, Billy Epler doesn't want to tell me if there's a player they're trying to trade or if they're trying to sign a free agent, and it's my job to try to find all those things out. And the way to do that is just to to build relationships with people where they trust you and they know that if they tell you something that they don't want uh, attributed to them, that you won't tell anybody if they said it, or if they tell you something that, you know, they don't want you to use at all, that you won't use it, and uh, you can still try to find another way to to get that information, but uh, you just have to be have a good relationship where people trust you, basically. Let's talk about this offseason for the Angels because you've had a lot to write about this offseason. It has been a busy one for the Halos. I know that there are some Angels fans out there that would probably like to see some more pitching still, um, but there have been there's been a lot going on. So what when it comes to the offseason in terms of your responsibilities and your job in covering this team, uh, do you prefer a, an offseason like this where there's a lot going on or or do you like it you know maybe more when it's kind of more status quo uh well you need to have something going on because you want to have something to write about uh you don't want people to be bored you want them to kind of keep coming back so i think this has been a pretty good offseason as far as 
kind of a steady stream of, of things happening with still some kind of downtime in between to give you a little chance to catch your breath before the season. So this has been a pretty good uh, pace for me. All right, let's talk baseball for a second because uh, it's been a while since we've done that. We had you on the night of Anthony Rendon signing with the Angels live at the winter meetings on Halo's Hot Stove after you saw me sitting on the floor there (laughs) at the uh, Grand Hyatt in San Diego. So we haven't talked to you for a while. Um, What are your thoughts on what the Angels have done this offseason and how close are they in your mind to being a contender? I think they're a contender right now, you know, a wild card contender. Uh, I think that they probably can't necessarily, they're not, nobody's going to pick them to, to be the Astros out right now, but uh, there's certainly room for some things to go right uh, for them still. I think a lot of people mistakenly view uh, what a team does in the off season as being, you know, the, the players they had is the only way they're going to improve. But really a lot of a team's improvement comes from the players they already had getting better and I think the Angels had a lot of room there obviously Justin Upton you know was hurt a lot last year and wasn't very effective when he played he could be a big improvement if Andrew Simmons plays all year he could be a big improvement having Shohei Otani pitching it could be a big improvement Griffin Canning having a season under his belt and coming back out could be a big improvement Mike Trout not missing a month could be an improvement so all those things just don't even begin to uh, to address, you know, the, the other guys they got. So I think that there's definitely room for them to improve. I would say right now the over and under on them is probably about 85, 86 wins. And, and if you're that good, then, you know, you can get some breaks and push that to 90. And that's, you know, just to play interesting baseball all year is kind of uh, what, you, what you hope for. As we're getting ready for spring training and pitchers and catchers reporting in three weeks from now, sorry to remind you, Fletch, um, what are some of the storylines that you think you're looking forward towards coming into spring about uh, this Angels club and what could be uh, happening in uh, in Tempe? I think sort of the most interesting thing that we're going to look for right off the bat is what they're going to do with Shohei Otani. Uh, I know they're going to watch his innings this year because he hasn't pitched a full season since 2016. The question is, how are they going to do that? Are they going to start him out late and maybe not have him pitch until May or so? Or are they going to have him start opening day but then have him skip a start a month? Are they going to, you know, just have him pitch four innings at a time at the beginning of the season? I mean, we don't know. There's a lot of variables. And uh, obviously we want to see how well he's going to pitch, too. I mean, he's a potential ace if he can come out there and pitch the way he did when he's coming back from Tommy Johnson. So we don't know if he's going to do that. So... Just all those questions around Otani, I think, are going to be the most interesting things to uh, to watch starting out. Last question for me, Fletch. Gut feeling. Is Joe Adele the opening day right fielder for the Angels? I'm going to say probably not. Uh, I think they're open to that. I don't think that they've guaranteed themselves that he's not going to be for any service time reasons. I think that if they feel like he's the best guy, that they would put him there, but I think that though the, they looked at what he did at uh, AAA last year and he showed that he had some adjustments he needed to make and they said it was similar to when he went to AA at the end of the year before and he went back to AA and he was great. So I think that they are maybe thinking the same thing will happen where he goes back to AAA to start this year and if he's great there then certainly he could be in the big leagues pretty soon after that. Fletch, thank you so much for joining us here uh, tonight. We really appreciate you have uh, coming on Halo's Hot Stove, and I'm looking forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks. It's really not that far away now. What, three weeks out before uh, pitchers and catchers report and everything gets rolling out there in Arizona. Fletch, thank you. All right, thanks, Trent.
He is Fletch, and we're really thankful that he takes the time out to join us here on AM830 and Halo's Hot Stove, the podcast. Speaking of Fletch's, uh, David Fletcher, Angel's second baseman, wearing number 22 this season, not only is having his jersey retired by his high school, Cypress High, here in SoCal, but on top of that, he was our guest on last week's podcast. Hey, be sure to subscribe to the Angel's Recap podcast on iTunes if you aren't already. I'm glad you're here, but be sure to check out some of our other episodes as well, not just David Fletcher last Last week, we had a lot of great guests this season. Even go back, it's kind of fun, I think, to go listen uh, to older episodes as well. It's a blast uh, getting ready for Angels baseball. you got to fill your time somehow in the offseason, right? And we're going to have another great podcast coming out next week. For Alejandro Valenzuela in the studio and for Howard Drescher helping out as well, my name is Trent Rush. Thanks to each and every one of you for joining us every week here on the Angels Recap Podcast. We certainly appreciate that. Spring training right around the corner we are knocking down the door of that and it's going to be really fun getting ready i'm fired up for this season if you can't tell i think there's a lot of reason to be optimistic and i'm looking forward to a great 2020 campaign for the halos have a great rest of your day take care everybody okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.